You are listening to The Audio Project with Dina Tierney. This podcast is recorded from my office in downtown Honolulu and welcomes you to join in the conversations I have on technology, business, and all things Salesforce. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of The Audio Project with Dina Tierney. My guest today is Dr. Scott Schroeder. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I want everyone to learn who you are. I'm excited about an upcoming event, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But before we jump to that, I'm really intrigued by your background. I looked up, not only are you educator, but also manager, operator, um, really impressed with your background. So just to kind of frame the conversation for today, if you could start by giving an intro to yourself. Sure. So I'm currently the head of school at Sacred Hearts Academy here in town. And uh, I started that job in July of this year, following on Betty White's 30-year-plus tenure I uh, in her. that role. So it's a big transition yeah. for the school and a big transition for me, too, because I've spent most of my career at the college level mm-hmm. uh, working as a dean of business schools uh, around the country, uh, probably 20 years at Chaminade. Uh, in that role and I'm a management psychologist so really by background and training both in my teaching and consulting work I've focused on how do we create better organizations and make organizations more livable for folks uh, and help them to perform better as well. Ooh, very interesting very cool management psychologist so tell me tell me about that to start because I didn't have that prepared but I'm curious on that so really I work with managers and organizations on how to make organizations more effective for people really with the idea one book that I read at one point started out by uh, asking the question how many organizations do you know of that you would wish on somebody you loved and uh, one of the tenets certainly of management psychology is to make organizations not only good for consumers and the people who make use of the products and services of organizations, but to pay equal attention to the people, those of us who have to live in organizations for a good chunk of our day every day, and uh, how to help us be as effective as we can be. And so I've had a focus in that area, both working on organizational uh, transitions, so moving people from one level of an organization to the next and getting them ready for their next promotion, as well as executive team functioning and how do we create great groups of people who are used to being the leaders in their parts of the organization Mm -hmm. and then putting them together in groups and helping them to be effective. Really interesting. How long have you been doing that kind of work? Uh, Probably about 30 years now. That's really cool. How has it changed much over, like have you seen differences in terms of Well, the fundamental issues are the same. So uh, how people operate and how you manage them to be most effective is uh, constant and sort of the problems that we run into in organizations stay the same as well. So while the context has been moving with technology and things like that, uh, the fundamental issues of how to manage well, how to organize well, uh, Mm -hmm. stay pretty constant. So one of the questions that always comes up with management is maybe a confusion between management and leadership? Do mm-hmm. you, how do you portray like the difference between leadership and management? Well, you know, there's, there's sort of a long-standing state, statement about that from Warren Bennis that says management is about doing things right and leadership is about doing the right thing. Uh, I don't know that I make too much of a distinction between leadership and management because there's an aspect of management and doing things properly in any leadership role and the same thing vice versa 
Vanessa, mm -hmm. uh, with management roles as well. Opportunities for leadership can be connected with position, but any of us can execute leadership in an organization from yeah. any position that we happen to be in. That's, that's, a, that's a really good point. What would you, you know, we have a lot of, I would say that in our audience, there's a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. which in turn are managing, managing various aspects in their day-to-day -day job. From your experience, what, what makes a good manager? Well, for me, a really a good manager is somebody who pays attention to the people that they manage, uh, get to know those people well, their distinctive characteristics, really try to identify the talents that each person brings to their work and uh, looks to leverage those talents and makes the most of the people who are working for them. I think that's probably the key characteristic. And then the same thing with the organization, identify what are the pieces that need to be there and how do you make those pieces work work together so that the organization functions at its best. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So I'm guessing you're bringing these leadership traits to what you're doing at uh, Sacred Hearts, which yeah. is awesome. I'm just kind of shifting gears in the education space. You know, for me, I'm, um, as you know, I do Salesforce consulting. Our company does a lot of Salesforce consulting across mm -hmm. a range of industries. And definitely education has been an, an area that you know we've seen some salesforce kind of evolution right there's been a lot of great products offering uh, the platform itself you know from marketing and enrollment getting students in you know that's a big part of what crm yeah. and salesforce is all about including student success while they're enrolled and you know being informed of their engagement or any kind of student risk that could happen to their success as they they go across their education journey and then even afterwards right like where do they go afterwards? Yeah. So it's, it's a really interesting industry that I've started to get my head around more. And so mm -hmm. from your end, and being in this, the education industry for quite some time, I'm just curious, like, what's, you know, maybe more from an education standpoint, how have you seen the industry maybe evolving over uh, the, over I the years? I see really uh, two major changes that have taken place probably over the last 10 or so years. Um, one of those is a real movement from what I'd call passive learning to active learning. And this is occurring uh, from in the K through 12 environment, like I'm at at Sacred Hearts, all the way through the college environment. And I think it's largely driven by industry and the fact that when people are going out and starting their careers and taking on their first jobs, organizations are looking for people who are ready to do things. And their preparation for getting ready to do things has to begin in school. So I think one of the things is you're certainly seeing a movement from uh, what would be traditionally lecture-based classes where mm. you've got 300 people up to 300 people in a classroom sitting and watching an instructor talk about things and just absorbing learning through mm -hmm. that sort of process to much more hands-on activity uh, in courses so that students are involved in solving problems and being connected with their communities and organizations at every point of their uh, education from the time they're very small all the way up through their college experience. I think that's one of the big things and, uh, and to be successful moving forward, schools have to incorporate those action learning models into the way that they teach. The other thing that I think is uh, significant is uh, the movement of technology into the classroom and use of technology. Mm -hmm. um, 
and how the availability of technology and information is shaping education as well. So clearly there are things like uh, people using iPads in the classroom and Mm -hmm. so forth for all their class projects, for taking notes and things like that. But even much more fundamentally, I think that uh, in the old form of education, the key was to get information out of your educational experience. By being in the classroom, I knew more than I would otherwise. These days, information is available at your fingertips. If you've got a smartphone, you can look up anything that you want to at any moment Mm -hmm. of the day. And so the shift really is becoming, how do you end up using information to best effect and be much more a critical thinker and somebody who can incorporate information effectively into problem solving and engaging the things that they need to do. So that's the other area that I think is a really big change in education. It's interesting. So then how do you take, when you take a test, it's not the same as memorizing, quote, information that you memorize. Like, what does it look like now? Yeah, it's not the same. So you use much more problem-based testing where you give students uh, um, an issue to solve and then see using the knowledge that they've gained through their coursework, et cetera, can they tackle that problem? So mm-hmm. it looks much more like, I guess, the story problems that we mm-hmm. would encounter as kids in mathematics applied to just about every area yeah, yeah. that you might imagine. But do this, I'm mean, sorry to be so dumb on this, but do the same tests apply like for entry into college? Like, are, do you see a difference in the results, right? Because at the end of the day, those tests, I feel like they've been around for yeah, a so long the, time. So the challenge is there are parts of the education system that are not catching yes. up yet uh, to those changes in education generally. So you're still gotcha. seeing the standardized tests and the like mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty much use the same old format that oh. they have for a long, long period of time to get into high school or get into college. You so bet. then you have a separate track that helps those students prepare to take to take the to test. Take, to take yeah, the right? test, that's exactly right. So, so you get SAT prep yep. or that kind of thing as a separate undertaking. Well, it's interesting because I feel like at least, you know, in some of the universities, and I know you have in, you experience with both, which is great, but I know in some of the universities that's always the big question. You know, there's this debate sometimes about the value of higher ed and, you mm-hmm. know, you know, I have certain opinions that, you know, going to higher ed is actually absolutely very valuable, but it depends, you know, what you're trying to get out of it. And so it's always like an interesting thing when people start to evaluate colleges and universities and taking those tests to get into them. And I feel like the whole recruitment is just so different from before. I mean, yeah. you know, like, so it's a, I feel like it's, it's tough for colleges to maybe even recruit. I don't, did you guys from an edu- like the higher ed side of it? Well, and you see particularly on the college side, the uh, application levels to top schools are uh, happening more and more. The admissions rates are getting to be lower and lower for the applicants. And so it's getting tougher all the time to get into top schools. Uh, and more of a challenge probably for your mid-range schools or lower-tier schools to end up getting applicants. Got it. That's um, what's going on. But for the top-tier okay. schools, it's better than ever for them. Got That makes sense. So that, then that kind of leads me. I was curious what our, as education has evolved, because, you know, I see it, as it's evolved, what challenges do those schools face? Because they got to attract they got to attract some kids to come to their school. and Or just right. education challenges in general. What do you... 
what well, do you I think? Well, I think in for colleges and universities, the particular challenge I think is adapting to these action learning models. So you look at something like uh, if we're used to operating in a 300-person lecture class, how do we even think about doing action learning in that size of a mm -hmm. classroom or with that volume of students? or because of the pressure to really prepare people for their next careers after graduation. How do we think about the career applicability of areas like the humanities? It's easy for people in the business area, like myself, mm -hmm. to end up thinking about what are we preparing our students for after they graduate from college or finish their MBA program. On the other hand, for people operating in some disciplines, like those in the humanities, they really have to think more carefully about yeah. what are we actually doing that will impact our students' future mm -hmm. after they get done with their education. So those, I think, are some of the challenges that Absolutely. show up for colleges. Well, I'm fortunate, so i got to give props to my school. I went to UT San Antonio, um, University of Texas in San Antonio, and I have a degree in um, information technology, College of Business. Mm -hmm. And I actually have to give my guys, my teachers, props because they... Um, I remember there were all of my IT classes, I think almost every single one of them, they gave me the project, didn't teach me the coding languages in the, pr in the class, and said, welcome to the real world, there's the book, there's the lab, go figure out how it works. And in class, it was theories, it was concepts, it was how to yeah. you know, create the framework for uh, development of a good application design. You know, they would teach those types of theories, but they were like, go figure out the language on your own, because guess what? When you go get a job, no one's going to sit there and like show you how to write some syntax. And I feel like that's yeah. that's um, a cool opportunity that I had that maybe maybe I'll give them some props, because sometimes I talk to other students in the IT programs that even exist today, and they're like, oh, yeah, my teacher didn't make me do that. And I, sure. I was told, like, here's how you develop it or whatnot. But I will definitely say that was valuable for me as a learning, entering, entering my mm -hmm. first job and recognizing no one's going to sit here and tell me what to do. i got to go learn and find the answers. Yeah, and these days, that kind of education is starting even in preschool, where yeah. the preschool three-year-olds, four-year-olds, will be given a problem <laughs> and put to work as a group yeah. on that problem. Yeah, teaching you, we use the phrase, um, at least in our jobs, teaching someone how to fish, right? Teaching yep. them how to go on their own and, and figure it out because the world's always going to change. So it's good. And it's really cool to imagine what students have access to and the information they have access to that they they have the, the power to create or do or, you know, you a bet. variety of things with the information available. The other thing I wanted to kind of transition to, all related, of course, is that we have an upcoming event. And... It's um, on February 22nd, I believe, at least mm -hmm. the one I'm part of. Yep. And um, I was really excited about it. 26 years in a row, the Science Symposium for Girls. And um, I guess tell us about the event, why it's important for these, these okay. students. Uh, one of the things that Sacred Hearts Academy tries to do is be a resource for the community and provide different avenues for students in the community to learn about different dimensions of what's happening in the world, latest trends in technology and science and so forth. And so two of the things that we do to help that out are this uh, spring in February, we have um, the STEM symposium 
Symposium, which happens on February 15th. That's for high school girls, mm -hmm. focused on uh, exposing them to STEM careers in a number of organizations. And then on the 22nd, you mentioned, we have the Science Symposium, which for, is for the younger kids, grade five through eight, mm -hmm. uh, and girls in that area to also expose them to STEM-related fields. And the science symposium in particular is very exciting because it's all hands-on activities mm -hmm. uh, for the girls related to forensic science and CSI. There are over 20 workshops, veterinary science. Uh, my favorite is how to learn science through making ice cream, uh, <laughs> which I think is a great topic. I can't wait to go to that <laughs> session yeah, right. myself. Um, and then we also have sessions for parents so that parents can get aware of what's happening in the science area and the kinds, different kinds of careers that are available uh, through learning science. Because often I think science seems like it's a foreign mm -hmm. area or you have to be extremely smart or a particular type of student yeah. to take on science areas. And this really demystifies that, both for the kids mm -hmm. who get to see what exciting things are happening in different mm -hmm. science fields and for the parents too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I will be delivering both a student and teach, uh, parent conversation yeah. but in addition to that our team I'm really excited about this by the way I'm like it's so cute because um, there's going to be I think two sessions that our guys are going to lead from my team mm -hmm. around building a lemonade stand app in the nice. Salesforce on the Salesforce platform um, and maybe it's it's to spur some interest with entrepreneurship and the fact that technology can really help um, you know regardless of what the vision is because to your point Sometimes you hear the word STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math, and it sounds like it's this really complicated thing. Platforms like Salesforce make it pretty accessible, and you know, girl, girls or men or women, whatever, can have a career in um, technology. So I'm excited to talk to them. That's I'm really excited. Good. My team's super excited to to help them build the Lemonade Stand app, and it's something they can take home and and maybe do a um, babysitting business and run their, yeah. keep track of their operations um, and whatnot. So I'm excited for that. I'm curious, with 26 years in though, um, do you have any, I, I know you're, you know, you've been at Sacred Hearts only for a sh shortish time. Mm -hmm. Are there any stories that you've heard of from, from people who have attended that in the past and now maybe a few years later um, have, you know, benefited from, yeah, we that just experience. recently had an alumni forum at Sacred Hearts where we brought back current college students oh, to cool. talk to our current juniors and seniors about what college was really like and <laughs> how they moved their way from high school into college and so forth. And uh, what was really exciting, both in, I guess, the design area and in cybersecurity, uh, there were students who were now taking those on as potential career areas of focus and their original inspiration from that started in the science That's symposium awesome. and them being exposed for the first time mm -hmm. uh, to the design area or to uh, CIS or computer information systems and issues that were happening there. So it's really been an eye-opening experience mm -hmm. and, and just the hands-on opportunity that That's was cool. available for them has led to much bigger things mm -hmm. uh, as well. That's cool. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, I mean, you're targeting the parents too, which I think is yeah. interesting. What, what do you see in that space, like the importance of the parent in their role in 
this. Yeah, of course, parent uh, participation in their daughter's development and career thinking uh, is so important. And just as we have the idea that sometimes the students see of STEM areas as foreign and something that is not as mystifying and so Mm -hmm. consequently they don't quite know if it's for them same thing happens for the parents right Mm -hmm. and so uh, one of the things that I think is important for the parents is get a tangible feel for the kinds of opportunities that are available in STEM fields and then the other thing I think particularly for parents uh, not just the girls is that um often when they get to see people's science-related or STEM-related careers in action, they get a feel that it's not necessarily a linear process for somebody Mm -hmm. moving from their experience in high school to college and their careers and Mm -hmm. the winding paths that people Mm -hmm. have taken uh, to their STEM-related careers are often eye-opening for parents um, because often we see, we certainly saw this when I was in college uh, a lot of the time and even see it somewhat in high school. The parents have a really predetermined path for their sons or daughters mm-hmm. if we're looking at people in college, daughters if we're looking at yep. Sacred Heart students where they think they need to have their career identified when they're in third grade and then they're <laughs> going to follow this year after year through they get till they get through high school and yep. then on to college. And often the stories that people are telling in either the science or STEM symposium are not like that at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're very varied experiences yep. that people have had over time that lead to where they're at now. Yeah, that's a key message. It's funny because I did a talk over at a high school in town, uh, specifically for the girls' students. And um, afterwards, we had sort of this little breakout, and a few girls came up to me, and we were chatting. And we got to talking about their parents and what their parents are talking to them about as it relates to their futures and their jobs or whatever. Um, And a lot of these girls are saying that they get a lot of pressure from their parents. I think someone so far is saying that their parents were pulling up job boards and asking them, do you want that kind of job? Do you want this kind of job? And they're like, they don't even know what they mean, you know, like at some extent. So it was, it's, I think it's fantastic to have the parents be part of this and help them um, see. And and I think to an extent, a lot of the skills, um, at least in my field, you know, the jobs that students will have that are the kids that are in eighth grade, by the time they get a job, they may not even be the exact same the skill that exists today. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Salesforce didn't exist when I was, I mean, these things yeah. just don't exist, right? And so I think to to recognize that it's hard to predict what that will be, and to your point, whether the path goes a lot of different ways or the technology or whatever the field doesn't exist, um, kind of opens you up, frees up, frees you up a little bit to say, Let's not be too hard on ourselves. Let's just, you know, move ahead and, you know, problem solve as we go. And we often talk to parents about that, that many of the jobs that their sons or daughters will go into eventually don't even exist today. (laughs) And so what's really important out of an event like the science symposium or STEM symposium is just exposure, allowing the girls to see the variety of things that are out there and get to sort of have hands-on experience with them. Yeah, exactly. So were you a good student? 
I, I was a know. very good student. <laughs> okay, yeah. on the record, you were a good student. Did you, I got to ask now that we're talking about yeah. this, how did you see your career path kind of going from when you... Well, I always wanted to be a teacher, so probably okay. from early elementary school I wanted to be a teacher and spent time teaching the preschoolers and kindergartners on my street oh reading my after school and I'd get them over to my house <laughs> and give them lessons oh so it's gosh. always been, always been what I've wanted to do wow. and so I've just been thrilled to be able to actually do that in real Dream life. Dream fulfilled. Yeah for that's, sure. That's awesome. All right well we'll um, start to wind it down. I do have a question of the day for you. What is your best management advice? I think I'd probably make two points. One is uh, it's really important for all of us who are in management roles, any of us working for that matter, uh, to really recognize that everybody who comes to work every day, almost all of us are trying to do good things. So a lot of times we think of people who make a mistake here or there or don't succeed at something as in one way or another trying to sabotage their organization, do in their boss or something like that. And for the most part, most people are coming to work trying to do good things. And in our management roles, it's really our responsibility to set the stage for them to be able to do the great things that they're possible, uh, capable of doing. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is um, really recognize that the people that you manage are all different. Each one of us comes with different experiences, different perspectives, different talents and abilities. And um, so treating people, often we think in organizations in our management roles, we need to treat people the same or mm -hmm. similar to each other. What we really want to be doing to maximize their effectiveness and success is treat them as individuals, get to know them as individuals and try to leverage their particular strengths. So those are the things that I think really go a long way to effective management or leadership. I love that a very positive thing to end on yep. so with that we will conclude today's podcast thank you so much All for right. coming thanks so much for having I'm me i'm super looking forward to um, the 22nd and i will see you at that definitely at the science symposium all right thank you